chin. Found some olives on their noses. Bring it up, Jim. Up, up, I say, up. First thing you do is let them, let them know that you're there. This requires volume. The second thing you need to do is to, after you get their attention, is to let them know that you're calling pigs. This is the second part of the call. And the third thing is to even get the little fellows that have just left their mama, get their attention. So it goes like this. Stranger gallops his head high, watching for evil on all sides. Bass! Who is it? It's the lone shepherd, by God. Woohoo! Here, piggy! Oh, oh, Come on, let's bring it out there. Let's get the, let's get that, get your, get your whole body into it. Just go, let's hear them yell. <laughs> Assembled. My God, that was fantastic, Jim. Shoo-wee, <laughs> if I may use an expression. Give me a little echo chamber there a minute, Jim. Just a little echo chamber. Just a little echo chamber, that's all. It's easy. Sure, you can do it with tape. Can't you do that? You know how to do that, huh? You know how to do that? Well, it is a mysterious thing. Some can't, some can't, Jim. That's the way it is in life. Oh, uh, by the way, we have a telegram here uh, that I'd like to bring to your attention. Careful study of the Guinness Book of World Records, the 1971-1972 edition, reveals that Shane Gould, 1972 Olympic swimming record holder, previously set a record for eating one pound of grapes in 126 seconds. So champions will continue no matter what field they're involved in. This uh, uh, telegram goes on to say references on page 426 under the category of human achievements. This is indisputable evidence of Olympic Committee cover-up. We are continuing our hard-hitting investigation. Signed, the Hard-Hitting Investigation Corporation of America. Shane Gould, 126 seconds, she ate a pound of grapes. 
Well, Shane, join the club. You're listening to a guy that ate a dollar and a quarter worth of Twinkies when Twinkies were selling for ten cents for two, you know, two of them come in the same package. A dollar and a quarter worth of Twinkies in one five-minute recess period. I put them down. Now, I have some unofficial record. I wonder how many of us have set unofficial records in our time and not known we've done it. Not known we've done it. I saw a guy the other day go across 6th Avenue from the west side to the east side because there was an empty cab and there were no cabs anywhere. This cab stopped, unloaded a passenger. That guy, who must have weighed at least 390 pounds, went across 6th Avenue in easily Olympic time. Motivation. He moved like a shadow. <laughs> and, and so, you know, tonight, uh, though, we have a very, very difficult thing to have to approach tonight. This is weekends coming up, right, you know. And, uh, you know, always when the weekend comes up, there's the nervousness that, that begins to flutter down deep in people's guts. Uh, yes, it's, the, it's a, the, the weekend trauma. You know, only in America is the weekend such a big deal. This is an American concept, the weekend. Now, it's beginning to spread to the rest of the world, but we invented the Saturday night debauch. We really did. You, did you know that? No, I'm not kidding. You're going to say you believe it, but it's an absolute truth. And you know where it came from? It came from the frontier day when, you know, guys lived 40 miles out of town and they only came to town on a Saturday night to buy the hay and the feed and the junk the next week. And when they got in there, they tied one. Well, they didn't do this in Paris. I mean, you never hear stories of Robespierre tying one on on a Saturday night. No way. I mean, you may have tied one on, you know, on Wednesday or Friday, but Saturday night is a special American thing. And if you go on along Route 3, man, you go into the, the, the yes, you go into the TikTok diner and you go into the Route 3 drive-in about 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, and you can feel the pulse and the beat of Jersey life. You can just feel it. It's like a gigantic, heady cake of yeast. And then there are many mistakes are made on a Saturday night. I just wonder how many nights, how many Saturday nights, when people listening to us right now, rash statements were made on a Saturday night that changed the course of a guy's life. You know, see the Pontiac at Saturday night, the rain's coming down, he's in these woods with this chick, you know, and it's dark, and he's, you know, oh, you know the heady feeling. I mean, there is no man with soul so dead who has not felt that surge of indescribable excitement, this dark form next to him there, and she's outlined against the side window, you know, and you can hear the faint chirping of the crickets. And uh, the next thing you know, you find yourself saying things like, Oh, Myrtle, oh my God, I love you. I love you more than anybody else in the world. Oh, God. And then, can, the next thing you know, rash promises are made in exchange for certain other things, which may or may not be delivered. However, the promise has been made. And the next thing you know, 35 years, these two people squatting toad-like in front of their television set wondering how the hell it ever happened. All they got between them is the TV guide. It's the only thing that keeps them together. So watch out, friends. Saturday night is on the way, and you never know what's going to happen on a Saturday night. Please, a little of that uh, 
Saturday Night Excitement music. The same thing. You just the same thing we just played, Jim. Don't don't look confused. That's it. Just put the same one in there. Hit it and just start the. That's it. Oh my God, Saturday Night. You gotta swing easy on this show, Jim. This is not Martha Dean. But ain't John Gamble with Laughing Peter Roberts. It's a whole different ball of wax. Or a ball of something, not necessarily wax. <laughs> All of that. <death. laughs> oh, a rotten remark, you guys. This is terrible. But uh, we, uh, before we uh, get uh, too deeply involved in this celebration of the Saturnalia, which is approaching, and uh, incidentally, Saturnalia, is uh, that's why they call it that. You heard, have you ever heard the term? Would somebody please out there take out a... Uh, here's a man that would know about it, Art. Uh, Art, you've probably sat in on many a Saturnalia uh, yourself. And uh, I would like to uh, have any of you out there who have a dictionary uh, at hand, please look up the word Saturnalia. S-A-T-U-R-N. That's a U there. Like in the Indiana, U. Saturnalia. Look up Saturnalia and see if that doesn't fit some uh, great evenings that you have <laughs> theoretically spent. And before we go any further, uh, do you please, Art, in there, do you have us uh, a little uh, Ballantine in there? Do you want to tickle our fancy with a little beard there, please? Uh, he, we, we've just changed engineers, and he's looking like, there it is. There. Very good. If you want to find something out, you've got to ask tough questions. Yes, you've got to ask tough questions. And we want to find line. something out. Do you know you're probably drinking the wrong beer? Do you know there's a beer so good some people won't drink any other kind? Do you know this great beer's name is Ballantine? Does that surprise you? Why not try a Ballantine today? We can ask tough questions about beer because we've got the answer. The only answer. Ballantine. Ballantine, yeah. It's brewed by the P. Ballantine Brewing Company. Uh, picturesque Cranston, Rhode Island. And the next time you're confused, you sit there in the front seat of your car and you say to yourself, by God, there is a Cranston, Rhode Island. I can prove it. I got this can of Valentine in my mitt. A lot of things. It's the only claim to fame that Cranston, Rhode Island has. But uh, while we're on the uh, subject of, uh, of good and evil, I might tell you that tonight's show is liable to be a little disturbing to those of you who, you know, who believe in uh, the orderly progression of things. Uh, life, let's face it, is basically a chaotic situation. I mean, it is chaos. And uh, that's why we go to movies and, and the plays and stuff for at least two and a half hours. Uh, good defeats evil. Uh, <laughs> you know, it may be at $8.90 a seat, but at least it does for that hour. And that uh, we watch television shows. You've never once seen canon miss out on a case. Cannon always gets the guy in the end. And any good cop will tell you this is an incredible percentage. Uh, but the good and evil are always battling it out in our gut. You are in New York. An RKO general station. What show was that used on? Bum, 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 bum. That was a theme of a show at one time, a radio-type show. Not that it's important. Hey, you know, speaking of, uh, of really important stuff, though, we have uh, a great cheese commercial here. And uh, 
Here's what it says. It's a, it's a, a commercial by the Denmark Cheese Association. How would you like to be vice president of the Denmark Cheese Association? You know, I have this little cut of Danish cheese and gold on your lapel. How would you like to win a vacation for two in Denmark and fly there on Scandinavian Airlines? All expenses paid, okay? Well, listen closely. You may win free Danish cheese for a kind of a groovy cheese tasting party, too. Just visit any store that sells cheese, you know, a regular cheese store. On a card or letter, write the store name and address, right? And the names of the varieties of Danish cheese you find there. And your name and address. And you send your entry to me, Fred Gumpox, G-U-M-P-O-X. You send your entry to me, Fred Gumpox, W-O-R Radio, New York, 10018. They also call me Ollie Tilson sometimes. Each week through October 27th, we will draw at random 60 lucky entries and send them Danish cheese checks worth 10 bucks. That's a lot of cheese, man. And Danish cheese is good cheese. Now, what you do is, again, I say, <laughs> you go to a, a store that sells cheese on a card or letter. You just say, hey, what kind of Danish cheese you got there? And he says, none? Well, then you write down, you fake, and you write down none. And uh, send it off uh, with the name of the store and your name and address. And you send it to me, Fred Gumpox. G-U-M-P-O-X. That isn't actually me, but that's the name that's in this thing here. I kind of don't know who he is. W-O-R Radio, New York, one double o o one eight. Okay? This, by the way, is sponsored by the friendly Denmark Cheese Association. Cheese maker to the world. Yes, what, what city in, uh, in uh, Georgia is called the snuff maker of the world? <laughs> You know, I'll tell you one thing about about traveling around the country. You can see things that are so different in various parts of the country. Do you know that if you if you go in certain parts of the South and you walk in and you see a cigarette machine, and you know we're used to seeing you know cigarette machines. They got all these cigarettes all lined up there. Well, in certain parts of the South, there are at least two or three slots that have like Copenhagen snuff. That's right. You put in your money, out comes the can of snuff. You know, I've never seen Copenhagen snuff or any kind of snuff in a New York machine. Uh, also, they have Navy cut plug tobacco. Press the button and out comes this apple twist. <laughs> and uh, boy, wouldn't that wouldn't that uh, wouldn't that get them? You know, if you're, you're down at the Twenty One or some elegant place like this, and everybody's lighting up their elegant imported Egyptian cigars, and uh, you reach down into your your uh, Gucci suit and you take out your Navy cut plug. You know, I just like chewing on that $400 a yard carpet. I'd like to see Zsa Zsa Gabor do a, uh, a mule twist cut plug tobacco commercial. Love to see that. You know, with a big spittoon. Boing. Yes, it spits better, quicker, and much more accurately. Boing. Have you envied those friends of yours that can hit a spittoon at 300 yards? That's because they're using mule cut plug. The accurate cut plug. Boing. <laughs> have you ever tried? Have you ever tried uh, chewing tobacco? It's a lesson, I'll tell you. It'll teach you that, uh, that uh, there's all kinds of talents. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of fantastic talents. And I think that deep down inside of us is looked upon as our total inadequacy. 
so many things we can't do. Like my mother, for example, is one of the greatest whistlers I've ever met. My mother. She can stick two fingers like this. It's the two-fingered type whistling. She goes like this sometimes and like this. Pushes her tongue back a certain way, and she can be heard for 30, 40 miles. High, thin, keen whale, and the ducks answer her, trains answer her for miles around, you know. <laughs> Police look up from where they're writing out a ticket. They think they've heard some, you know, action somewhere. It's fantastic. And all through my my grade school days and through my high school days, I tried to learn this from her. She says, why can't you do it? It's nothing to it. She goes, puts her fingers in there, and she gets this fantastic sound. Nothing to it. She goes, puts her fingers in there. And if you get this fantastic sound, all I get is <laughs> no talent. And there's no way to fake a whistle. I can do this. <laughs> you ever do that? Like this. You take your finger, see? That's not bad. Give me a little echo chamber out, please. secret cry of our of our gang. That's right. Uh, you know, we went through this period. Uh, did you ever go through this when you were kids? You had a secret sound that you would like a, a yell, and the kids would hear it, and they'd know you were on the scene. Well, we had this gang, Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and, you know, other types of uh, wandering around nondescript kids, and you just go like this. You know, you walk down the street, see? Like, uh, I'm all by myself on Cleveland Street, right? I'm walking along. And I, and I get the urge that we all have of communicating with my fellows, my peers. Um, it's, 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 the, it's the same thing, the telephone uh, syndrome. You know many people get nervous and itchy and twitchy when they're away from a phone. Why? They want to talk to somebody. Well, no, they're there, you know. So I'm walking down the street, see, right? Here I am, see. I've just got my way back, see, from George's newsstand, uh, which was attached to George's bowling alley, and I have stolen two dirty magazines at George's newsstand. Did you ever do that when you were, uh, like, say, nine? Sneak in? Yes, you did. I'm sure you did. Art, you've got the look of a guy that does it yet. You still ain't got the guts to go in and say, give me that dirty one up there, the one there with the... <laughs> so, you know, i got a couple of these... 30 magazines stashed away in my boy's life. And I'm walking, I say, I wonder where Schwartz and Flicker Brunner are. At that point, I take my hands and I make them this way. I look around, take a deep breath, and go. doing his thing. Now, I was a dirty magazine stealer. Schwartz was a dedicated peeping Tom. Uh, 
Flick, on the other hand, Flick was a collector of indescribably filthy jokes. I mean, Flick was just a steady stream of them coming out of them all the time. And none of us, uh, including me and Schwartz and Bruner, knew what more than one-third of the words in his dirty jokes meant. But we knew they were dirty. I don't think Flick knew what they meant. He knew they were dirty, too, so that was enough. He'd sit there and <laughs> cackle, you know, back in the garage. So you can see we were soaked in sin. Soaked in sin to the very core. Now, I'm talking about the worst kind of sin. Lascivious, evil sin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Have you ever had the secret urge to write something in a John? Have you ever had that urge to simply join the crowd and write something in a John? Have you, right? Have you ever had the urge to do it? I, I, I'm, I'm asking whether you've done it. Have you ever had the urge to do it? It's just, just a faint one. You walk into a, to a Times Square phone booth. You've got to make a call, right? And you see this stuff all over the walls with these fantastic names with phone numbers. Have you ever had the urge to call one? It says, maybe. <laughs> but exclamation point after. You ever had the urge? Good. This is, this is good. I think they seeped in sin. And I want to tell you this, friends and neighbors. We are all in the same boat. We are all in the same pockmarked, evil, claw-ridden, sinking boat, each one of us. Now, some of us have actually carried it out. Others carried it around in our head like a cold sore on the brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you do know what I mean. That's right. And I'll never forget the time that me and Schwartz, Flick and Bruner, met this evil head-on. And it was very innocent the way it came about. Now, most people who are deeply involved, even if it's only in their mind, in sin, tend to avoid calling attention to it or being attention called to it. Correct? You tend to kind of hide it in the bottom drawer. You know, you say, oh, yes. Uh, you know, you, you, you get yourself a gray suit and you try to look straight, you know, and you get these Oxford gray jockey shorts, you know, and you, you, you carefully comb your hair and all that stuff. But all the while, what is it? A ravening monster deep inside you with yellow beaks. Yeah, beaks. Not one beak. It's got three beaks, which is the worst kind of a monster. I mean, you can accept a monster with one beak, but this has got three beaks of varying sizes. One of them is hooked. The other one's got little birds on the end of it. It's got, you got the red eyes. It's the real you. Yeah, it's the grunting, sweating, evil you. And you like to avoid that you as much as possible. Well, one night, me and Schwartz and Flick and Burner are walking around town looking for action. And we go past this store. So it had been a hardware store, as a matter of fact. A very innocent store with the, you know, glass front and all that stuff. And there's a lot of people going in the store. And it's all lit up in there. It's a big store, pretty big-sized store. There had been, some guy had a hardware store there, went out of business. 
And now the store is empty, but it's all lit up. And it had been empty for about a year. There's nothing going on in the store. We're walking around town. It's a hot night. It's just in the beginning of the school year. And you know, as you grow year by year, you become more and more interested in sin. A tiny baby, she does not, uh, you know, you could show him a picture of anything and nothing happens. He looks at it. But as you get older, sin becomes much more attractive. Have you noticed that, Eric? Would you say that sin is more attractive to you now, even than when you were nine? Yes, that's true. Let's, let's just be honest with it. Well, it, it becomes more interesting as time goes on. And all of these people are going into this store. There's hundreds of them going in. And there's all kinds of people. And on the, on the window, they had a great big, big sign in, in this day glow orange. It said, free tonight, revival rally. Well, we didn't know what, you know, it was free. <laughs> and everybody's going in. Well, we, you know, we stand and watch the crowd. And a couple of guys we knew, like Cashmere, went, hey, Cashmere, he's with his mother and father. Cashmere's going in. And I see a couple, and I saw going in there, I saw Helen Weathers. I mean, people we knew were going in. Well, Schwartz and Flick and Brunner and myself fell right in with the crowd. You know, I think man is basically a lemming. I think he will fall in with the crowd, if particularly if it's free. And he will fall right in there and march, I'll tell you, right over the cliff. If they put a big sign that says free on the edge of the cliff, you know, free, learn to fly, you know. <laughs> Oh, listen, I'll tell you, though, there's some shows you shouldn't see. Have you ever been converted, Art? That's a direct question. Well, it's an experience. I mean, you don't forget it quick. <laughs> or quickly, if you prefer, depending on how elegant you are. We were standing in the crowd, me and Flick and Schwartz, 8, 8.30 of us quiet September evening with the heat boiling down and we were in about the second or third day of school. You know, you're still excited about school. There's a couple of new fantastic girls in class. And uh, I think people have changed over the summer. Yes, it was kind of interesting to see the way Eileen Akers had changed. She had these bumps. Very strange. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I can remember watching her commit a class and sweating, you know, just in the middle of class. I couldn't figure it out. Yes, because you don't quite understand these things. I still don't quite understand them at this point. Do you understand? That's why guys like David Rubin keep writing these books. Nobody quite ever does. And so we get into this crowd. We move in, and inside this, what had been a, a hardware store, They've now made it into kind of like a, kind of like a, a theater or something. There's there's wooden seats just made out of big planks of wood, all just nailed together, went from wall to wall, and it was a center aisle right down the middle of it, and it went the entire length of this building, and up at the front of the place was a stage, just a wooden stage, and on the right side of the wooden stage was a piano. And there were a couple of doors off to each side, you know, where, where the uh, hardware store had its storeroom or something like that. And they had these bright lights in there. And uh, there were a lot of people sitting down, all milling around. Well, being kids, you know, kids have a terrible uh, 
urge to sit in the front row, no matter what they go to. You'll learn about this later on. You know? <laughs> I remember one of the first times I ever went to a restaurant with my father. I thought we were fantastically lucky because they let us sit right back by the kitchen. You know, I thought this was a good seat. You know, the way they were really making the food. You can see them in there, you know, throwing the forks around and chasing the cockroaches and stuff. So we, we, we walk up immediately. So we say, let's go to the front. So we walk right down to the front row, and we sit down. We don't know what's about to begin. And we're sitting there, and everybody's coughing and moving, and it's getting hotter and hotter in there. And the place is packed. People were lined up standing at the walls. I mean, I'd, I've never been to anything like this before. If you've never been to any of these, if you think this is an old-time thing, friends, this is even bigger than ever now out there in the hinterland, these, these uh, traveling things. And people are lined up all around the walls, and, uh, and they're all excited. You can see this, and they're talking away, and they've got books in their hands and stuff. And then somebody turned the lights down. About half the lights went out, and just up in the front, the lights are lit. And the crowd is waiting. At that point, a lady in a print dress with big flowers comes out, and she sits down at the piano. And uh, she looks out and nods, and the people are waving and stuff. And then the lights begin to dim. And we're getting all excited. And out suddenly... I just... What is he? What is he? I don't know. He walks out from back behind the stage, and he's got a fireman's hat. Now, that's pretty dramatic. He's got a fireman's hat. And he walks dead center of the stage. It's absolutely silent. Everybody's waiting. He looks out over the audience. His eyes are glowing. I can see Schwartz next to me begin to sink down in his seat. Flicks on the other side. Flicks looking. I can see beams of sweat coming out on Flicks' nose. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way he did it. I, I know. I, I could feel myself. You know, the guy had me. He, it was like he had hooks. He was pulling. Walks on. Looks down. At looks around the entire room. You could hear the people getting silent. And then he began. He walked from one end of the stage to the other in this dim light that followed him. And it was an echo, see, because you could hear this thing echoing in the room. I feel it tonight. I feel it here tonight. I feel the devil here. The devil is in his room.
put out. Extinguish those evil fires of hell. Lust. The lascivious lust that I feel in this room. And I'm going to put that fire out with the word of the Lord. Oh, devil, I'm praying that fire now. At that point, he put on the fireman's hat. And he's walking around pretending like he's got a hose. And he's squirting the audience with the hose. And he starts to holler again, I'm spraying this audience, this congregation of sinners everywhere. And Schwartz sank down in his seat. He's squirting that heavenly water right on Schwartz. He sprays it right on me. I can see it coming out of that hose. And I can hear it hit Flick. When it hit Flick, it hissed. It's fantastic. Something with steam is coming off of Flick. Well, this went on for about 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, he says, I want you to all, all of you to come forward now. All of you sinners. And magically, Flick just jumped up and ran forward. He falls flat on the ground. Holler, I'm a sinner. I said, what's the matter with Flick? What's I don't know. And then Flick says, I'm going up, I'm going up. And Schwartz jumped up and said, I'm a sinner. Oh, yeah, yeah. He falls down. And the next thing I know, me and Schwartz and Flick are all laying down there hollering and screaming among all that thousands of crowds yelling. It was a night I never forgot. It seemed to go on forever. The crowd is milling its hot and steamy. Oh, my God, sin is everywhere, everywhere. Things in life you can't, you just can't escape. I've never been quite the same ever since that night. Fantastic what happened to Schwartz. He began to go to Sunday school. He got this sappy look on his face. He'd walk around all the time with that, you know, flick. Flick started to tell stories, you know, funny jokes about Smokey the Bear. All of those great stories were gone. Oh, God, we were changed that night, and I don't know whether it was for good or evil. 